We're going to be joined by Patrick Kelly, U of M Assistant Professor of Physics and Astronomy. Hi, Patrick. Hi. How are you? Are you at work now at the U? Yep, yep. My now, office. Okay, Patrick, the reason we wanted to speak with you is you're part of a team that found the star that's now the farthest away uh, known to mankind. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's actually 100 times farther away than the next the most distant star. How you know, far uh, away is 9.3 billion light years? Well, it's uh, a long ways. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I hear you might be interested in the uh, number of light years to Waldrug in uh, South Dakota. Well, that's uh, that came up yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I looked that up. And so that's about a thousandth of a light second. So, uh, you know, so 9.3 billion light years is pretty far. Tri- <laughs> trillions of miles? Well, it's, yeah, you know, trillions, really, you know, the number's really too big to say easily. But, yeah, trillions of trillions of miles. So uh, it's just, uh, it's about three-quarters of the way back to the, the uh, Big Bang. What if you get all the way back? What are you going to find? Well, in the first few moments, the universe was extremely, extremely hot. So it was like a big gas of, you know, there were a lot, you know, extreme, extremely energetic particles running around. Uh, and uh, you can't actually see all the way back because light can't travel through material that's that hot. Um, Why were you looking for what is the star now called Icarus, this farthest one away? Did you find it by accident or have you been doing this for quite some time hoping to find it uh no actually so there was a paper back in the in the 90s somebody sort of thought of a similar idea but then everyone kind of forgot that this might be a possibility so um we were actually we i found a, a different supernova in 2014 um and that appeared actually five times on the sky uh due to gravitational lensing and so we were studying the supernova and that's when we found a new um sort of point uh, on the sky that that brightened a lot and uh, in a very special place and so that's how we figured out it was a star is this a big deal for you professionally i mean you get endorsements now i'm not being facetious in the world of astronomy is this a big deal um well i'm not no you had no endorsements no special tennis uh, shoes with stars on them or anything no i no but uh it's fun to tell my graduate students about it and stuff like that so <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it, you know, personally, it's, 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 I never imagined we could see, I mean, we can see stars in nearby galaxies like Andromeda, which you can see, um, during the night, but, uh, you know, the idea we could see individual stars across most of the universe, you know, I, I would have said that was a crazy idea a few years ago, so. <laughs> well, how did you um, know what you were looking at? Well, um, the reason we, we, we spec figured out that it was a star uh, so there's what's called gravitational lensing. Um, so if you have a big, massive galaxy cluster, it will bend the path of light traveling by it. And if you have something right behind it, or behind it in the right place, the cluster will actually bend a lot of the star's light or a larger fraction of it towards us on Earth. And so in a particular place, you, know, you should have very high magnification. So it's kind of like a natural magnifying glass. Um, and so this point source was right there and then it brightened briefly and that was because actually a star floating around in the cluster was in the right place 
and it caused it to brighten briefly. And so um, it was a very small point back there. You got that, Reavers? I think I do. So, so Pat, I want to ask you, because for people like Joe, people like me, most of the people listening, it's hard for us to really quantify something like this. What With research like this and a discovery that you guys have made, what do you stand to gain from this type of information? Well, you know, it's it's really just about, uh, partly it's just about, you know, curiosity and, you know, wanting to um, explore, you know, it's just like uh, exploring our universe. So, you know, like kind of like the old Arctic explorers or whatever else, and now we're looking out into the universe and trying to understand it. I mean, there's not, there's a lot of technology that's developed to build these huge, you know, this uses the Hubble Space Telescope, which is launched by NASA, and, um you know, a lot of technology that's, of course, developed for that, and it's useful for a lot of other things. But, All right, let, know, let, really... me, let, me, let me cut to the chase here. Okay. <laughs> this thing is 9.3 billion light years away, which means it's whatever, God, how many trillion miles away. Is that a correct statement? In yeah, other yeah, words, it's, it's farther away than the time. Light years is just a measurement of how long it would take to get the light would take to get here, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's 9.3 billion light years away, which means it's trillions and trillions and trillions of miles away. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay, so so when I go outside at night <laughs> oh God. and I see stars, what am I seeing? Are, is that light that's on its way here? Or, or are they just... Wait a minute, I can make the question better. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Patrick, hang in here with me. Okay, so I go outside at night and I see stars. How far away are they? Uh, well, yeah, you, you, know, that, you, you hit on you know, a really cool thing about astronomy is that because you know, light takes, travels at a finite speed, when we see uh, things in the sky, we're actually looking back in time. So it's kind of like a time machine. And oh. so, yeah, and so if you're seeing stars in the sky, they could, the light could have been emitted from the star a year ago, or even in some cases, uh, you know, um, hundreds of thousands of years ago from those stars you see with your, your own eye. Okay, another way to say it. The stars I see with my own eye have already traveled their distance in light years in order for them to have become visible to me. Is that a way to say it? Well, the, yeah, the light, that, the light that they emitted has to, had to travel a long distance. And therefore, it's taken a long time for for it to reach us. So we're sort of looking back at the object as they appeared in the past. So, for example, the star we found is now dead, uh, but we're seeing it as it was, you know, billions of years ago. You're going to need a drink after this. <laughs> Wait a minute. This one you're calling Icarus is dead. Yeah, yeah, because it's a extremely. It's about a million times brighter than our, or more luminous than our sun. And so those stars are, you know, burned through their fuel really quickly, and then they die, and pr- it's probably a black hole now, actually. Well, how, um, how oh, well, how, how, why was it bright then? Oh, uh, it was very, it's so, it was much more massive than our sun, so maybe 50 times more massive. And so, if it's that massive, it it burns much more brightly. So uh, nine point nine point three billion light years from now, if there's still people around, no one will see this new star because it's it destroyed itself. Well, actually, if we if we keep watching it, if someone you know Earth, uh, someone on Earth in a few million years is still around, then probably see the star explode as a supernova. Hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
So let me ask you another question, Pat. Um, so I had a friend once who was so uh, mesmerized by the night sky that he tried to capture it on his cell phone and send it to a bunch of us. Uh, we didn't read that re- information wasn't relayed to us, but because you guys possess technology that simply didn't exist years ago, what technology will you have in a number of years and how how much further farther will you be able to see at that point? We well, already yeah, answered that. You can't see through the gas because it's too hot, right? Don't you pay yeah, attention? But, well, yeah, well, what would be fun would be to, to actually see the first stars that were ever formed. Um, holy mackerel. And uh, and we think that might might be possible using NASA's next uh, telescope, and so that should be launched hopefully in a couple of years, uh, maybe 2020, uh, and that's going to be ten times more powerful than the Hubble. Holy and so cow. yeah, we think you know we should be able to find these using this new technique uh, to find the, the first stars, which basically were very different from our sun. They had no metals in them when they were formed, so uh, they were very hot and compact. Uh, which would be pretty cool if we could see this. Well, I I uh, have no earthly idea of what you've just said, but I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated. Yeah. I can't I can't comprehend nine point three billion light years. That's a long yeah. way away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't really either. It's uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Patrick, really uh, how old are you? I'm uh, 36. And how long have you been a U of M assistant professor of physics and astronomy? About six months. Is that it? Yep. Well, this yep. has got to be a bee in your bonnet, doesn't it? Oh, well, I, I guess so, yeah. 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 Patrick, thank you very much. Oh, thanks a lot. It's been fun to talk. Can we, uh, can we call you again if we have other astronomical needs? Sure. All right, sure. thank you. Our official correspondent. We got a correspondent now. Thank you, Patrick <laughs> Kelly. He's our official Garage Logic astronomical correspondent. You could give me a quiz on what he just said. Right. I'm getting an F. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the light is think, bent and the think thing about and that. the boom and the bang and the bomb. What he discovered is already gone. It burned up. See, that's 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 something. That's why we had him on. See? I knew a guy once that tried to capture it on his cell phone. I sent you a nice picture, didn't I? <laughs> I think it was a picture of a closet. I don't know what... You guys ought to check this out. Well, I was looking out over the ocean, and uh, <laughs> it, didn't really, uh, it didn't really happen very well, did it? i got to get this off my chest. Even though, as I said, it's very festive. Frozen 4. Oh, man, that's Twins right. Twins opener. Mm-hmm. Masters. You got a lot of people in town. The Pioneer Press has uh, reprinted an uh, an obit that apparently has been has been going viral around the country. It's out of Bismarck, North Dakota. The family of Bismarck teenager Cherish Hool, uh, also called Chance, used uh, the family used her obituary to urge others to confront bullying, an ugly truth that caused their daughter intense pain. She was twelve. Uh, she died from suicide on Saturday, according to the obit published on the website of Eastgate Funeral and Cremation Service in Bismarck. Cherish's family and support systems want the public to be aware of her situation in hopes that it will prevent tragedies such as this from occurring again. The obituary reads, they are asking that parents talk to their children and find answers to hard questions. Are they being bullied? Are they the bully? Have they witnessed bullying and it broke their heart? But they were glad that they weren't the target. 
Did they not know what to do and walked away? Uh, the obit also details the crushing blow that the suicide dealt on the family. The ugly truth of bullying is someone who loved Cherish had to open the bedroom door and see what they saw on Saturday. The ugly truth of bullying is that those who love Cherish can't close their eyes at night because they can't get the image out of their head. The ugly truth of bullying is doing CPR for four minutes and 26 seconds. It's listening to 9-11 operators tell you to go faster and push harder. It's knowing that you didn't open the door early enough for it to matter anyway. It's that Cherish isn't here anymore. Well, God love the family. I can't, I can't even, I can't imagine. But here's what I, here's my two cents worth. And that's all it's worth is two cents. Uh, And I don't know a thing about this particular child. Whatever these kids are being taught about bullying doesn't work. Would be my, it's, that's my suspicion. My advice to kids has always been, don't take anything. Forget this turn-the-other-cheek BS. Don't take it. Mm-hmm. Don't take it. I'm not necessarily suggesting uh, that you engage in physical confrontations. I'm saying you stand up for yourself. You don't, you, you don't have to take what other people are telling you about yourself. Don't take it. Push back. Push back. Forget this. Whatever these kids are being taught, is, is, it's not working. My kindergartner just came up to me about two week, two or three weeks ago. He had his first little altercation at school. And I said, buddy, here's the rule in our house. You have the right to defend yourself, but you are not allowed to start any type of Mm -hmm. altercation. But you are allowed to stick up for yourself. The other thing I'm curious. And that's the problem is there's too many kids that aren't getting that guidance. That's our problem, Joe. We don't, and I don't mean to. Yeah, and I'm not saying that we know anything about about Cherish Hool. It's just that her obit reminded me of some things I've been thinking about. The, The. one of the things I've been wondering is what what is the nature of of bullying? In other words, I've I've insisted that school shootings, for example, were not typical sixty years ago, fifty years ago. Nor was bullying as I understand what I think we're being told it is today. So what I'm wondering I'm really struggling to phrase this correctly. I'm wondering that is what is considered bullying today, was that merely social interaction 50 years ago? Sometimes Mm. that social interaction had hard knocks go along with it, but the point was you were socially interacting, and more often than not, you got things worked out with another person. Mm. So I'm wondering today, what is the nature of the bullying that can drive a child to take her own life? I don't, our kids... You know what the difference is, though? Social media? Social media. And we don't know the role social media played in this case. But my point is... But we see other examples of where social media was the direct result of, or not the direct result, but was directly uh, affecting a situation just like this. Mm -hmm. Because this is is just horrid. Mm -hmm. This is horrid. Every article I see that suggests kids are being harmed by social media. I've got three women in my life who have children who I send it to. It, because I, I can't imagine. I didn't have to go through this BS with social media. I can't imagine it. I can't, I can't imagine it. When, when Sally didn't get invited to a party in 1965, she didn't know about it. Does that make sense? Yes. 
And what what the fear that I have is social media is the problem in some cases in 2018. Well, well, here's my advice to kids: put the damn phone down, and and confront each other. Learn to talk to each other without your device, and don't take. Don't take any crap. Stand up for yourself. I don't know what they're being taught. You know, oh, oh you got bullet. We got to find a safe space. And BS, stand up for yourself. Uh, and again, this has nothing to do with this child in North Dakota. I know, I know nothing about it. It's just that her terrible story uh, is, is the impetus for me to uh, to say that uh, I, I, I know what kind of advice I would give. But I'm only a fake mayor. But the advice I give to those around me is don't take anything. Stand up for yourself. Don't, don't, don't let whatever's getting passed off as bullying get the best of you. That's BS. You come back with your own retorts. You come back with your own positions. Don't take it. Because we're seeing that's way, my, that's my speech on this festive day, and it's because we're seeing way too many cases of this, especially recently. And I'm not saying that suicide is a recent phenomenon, but it no, but it's growing but in it's, numbers among young adults and teenagers. Oh, it's it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Sergio just uh, I just got a text. Sergio Garcia uh, got a 13. Ooh. He one putted for a 13 on uh, the 15th hole. He uh, has had three, <laughs> three, three in the water. Uh, well, anyway, kids, don't just put the bleeping phone down and don't take your BS. Don't don't take it. Just fight back. And again, I'm not recommending physical confrontations. I'm uh, what I'm recommending is possessing your own self. Don't let other people tell you that they think you're this or they think you're that. Who gives a bleep what they think? On that cheery note, we're going to go to our friends in uh, Owatonna, Minnesota, Federated Insurance, where it's their business to protect your business, and nobody does that better than Federated. It's Bruce Vale from the Wall Street Journal and your money now. Well, we are having a pretty good day in the market today. Stocks have been on the plus side since I've been here most of the day. Uh, The gains have wavered a bit, though, but right now we're pretty strong. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 289 points. The NASDAQ Composite ahead 45, and the S&P 500 is up 22 points. So still some volatility, but the market seems to have calmed a bit. Federal safety regulators are investigating allegations that defective Goodyear motorhome tires caused crashes that killed or injured 95 people during the past two decades. Lawsuits and safety advocates allege the company's G159 tires were designed for delivery trucks, not RVs that travel at highway speeds, and that Goodyear kept the tire problem secret for years by settling cases and getting judges to seal records. Despite the allegations, the tires have not been recalled. Sears said it was notified of a security breach that occurred last fall involving fewer than 100,000 customer credit cards. The retailer said the credit card information of customers who made online transactions between September 27th and October 12th may have been compromised. Customers who used Sears branded credit cards were not affected. 
I'm Bruce Vail with your money now on 1500 ESPN. Thanks, Bruce. We'll check in again with you in about one hour. Hey, the fifth annual Minnesota Brewers Ball returns this Saturday, April 7th at International Market Square in Minneapolis. From 7 to 10 with a VIP reception beginning at 6 o'clock, you can hang out with me. That's right. And money raised benefits the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. You can sample from more than 30 breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Food's also provided a silent auction and live music. Tickets are on sale right now, and they'll also be available at the door. You can find all... Commencing Garage Logic segment number eight. Oh, that's so boring, man. What is? This song by Arcade Fire, it's just so boring. <laughs> oh, that's right. Every time I hear the beginning of this song, I think it's Fire Lake by Bob Seger. That is it. Here's John Hyde. That was very caped out of you to say that. It's like very Bob Seger, man. To cape out that deer mouth. So this is an arcade (laughs) fire? Yes, it is, John. I see. Okay. It's Sunny 30. Who wants to go to Fire Lake? Uh, It's sunny at 37 degrees. Twins with their home opener. Boy, you can be cruel. Underway. Cruel. You're I'm not bull- bullying, you're a, am I? Yeah, you're a when do we start this bullying. game? We're about a half hour away. 305. 310, actually, is the okay. official time. Oh, so. Uh, twins with the home Jeez. opener this afternoon. Kyle Gibson goes for the Twins lefty James Paxton for Seattle. Uh, by the way, the uh, science emails are rolling in okay. from the interview with the uh, the professor at the well, top of the hour. I enjoyed the hell of it. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, I was going to come in and see if I could quiz you guys, but I didn't. Have I don't an think I-, I do well. Well, I didn't have an idea what to even ask because right. I didn't understand either. So well, the biggest shock is the star's dead. Yeah, I was surprised to hear that. Do you have a funeral for a star? Uh, not really. Mm, Be tough to get there. Wild lose to Anaheim. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. About a trillion years late. <laughs> Wild lose to Anaheim 3-1 to one last night. They'll be right back at it tonight on the West Coast playing Los Angeles. A big game for the Wolves tonight. All games important at this point. Of course, they try to make the playoffs there in Denver to play the Nuggets. At the Masters, Henrik Stenson is at 4-under in the lead through 13. Adam uh, uh, Hod- Hadwin. Hadwin. Pardon me, I can't read my own writing. I got him. Do you? Mm-hmm. Really? You're talking about the 1500 ESPN Masters Challenge Tournament online at 1500ESPN.com. Well, I'm in a number of different uh, arrangements. <laughs> you do? Do you play? Uh, you play? You have personal ones you're involved in? Too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Charlie Hoffman and uh, Adam Hadwin are both at three under through 13. Charlie's now four under. Okay, then Charlie's tied I for got, the lead, huh? I have him. You know, I think I took Charlie, too, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about golf, but... Uh, uh, the fellow who hurt his uh, ankle yesterday and popped it back in place. Tony Finnau. He's at two under, so yes. he's playing well. He could play through, hockey. Uh-huh, through eight. And Tiger Woods, if you're wondering, he's at two over through 15. And the 13 oh. that Sergio took on number 15 yeah. is the highest score on a hole in Masters history. Wow. Well, he hit, uh, the chief offside correspondent tried to keep up at last count. He thinks... He thinks Sergio hit it into the water five times on 15. Wow. He did. I saw that on Twitter. Two in, three out. Four in, five out. Six in, seven out. Seven in, eight out. He's hitting. He had to be more than that because he hits eight. I don't know. I'll have to review it later. I I didn't get a chance to see it because we were talking to an astronomer. Is there going to be a party? (laughs) News notes for. News notes from today. A group of Egan residents say they are thrilled with the new Vikings training facility in their city, but they do have a concern about what happens at night. The group thinks the building's lights are too bright. 
We're going to kill night. more birds? No, it's just too bright for the whole city. Oh. John Parrots lives near the 277,000-square-foot Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, which sits on the border of Egan and Mendota Heights along I-94. He said, I was excited to have the Vikings as a neighbor. It's a very cool thing. It's a really good thing, and I'm totally supportive of it. But he said the lights at night are an eyesore. I flew over it during nighttime, and I didn't. I couldn't tell how bright it was. I'm a I'm a I'm a guy who uh, I'm pro light. If you want to turn on your lights in your building, that's fine with me. But I, I guess I'm curious as to why are they wasting the money to have if the lights on? Night. Yeah. Well, they honestly they probably have coaches in there working until well, God that's knows true. when. Yeah. Uh, Parrots added, it takes up the entire night sky. It just shocks me that anyone got permission to put up signage like that. Parrot said he and others are worried about what the lights are doing to the property values of the homes nearby. Right. After getting the conversation going on the neighborhood discussion, app Nextdoor, Parrots plans to bring his questions to the Vikings and the city of Egan during a previously scheduled public meeting on April 16th. Joe, uh, Alex chimed in uh, with your thoughts on the uh, from the professor, from your interview with the professor, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, if you want to compute this. Uh, our sun <clears throat> is 240,000 miles in diameter. Wow. That times 50 was the girth of Icarus, according to the professor. So if you want to wow. knock that out. Wow. Huh. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> Get back a, to us, will you, I need, a, I need a, an abacus. <laughs> oh, no. Don't start with that again. From the Star Tribune, a New Hope woman with a long list of drunken driving convictions and outstanding warrants in three states is in deep trouble with the law again after police in Riverside, Illinois, found her passed out behind the wheel at a gas station in the suburb of Chicago. Tasha Schleicher was charged with two counts of felony aggravated drunken driving, two counts of misdemeanor drunken driving, no vehicle insurance, driving while license revoked for drunken driving, and transportation of open uh, open alcohol while driving. The 41-year-old Schleicher was arrested last October in Minnesota. At that time, the mother had five of her children in her vehicle when she drove drunk and veered into a median cable barrier at highway speeds near Rochester. She was then found at the scene, breastfeeding her baby. In Wednesday's case, Schleicher was sitting in her 2005 Nissan Maxima with keys in the ignition and the engine running at a gas station. It looked like, according to Riverside Police Chief Thomas Wetzel, she had tried to fill her car with kerosene. That usually doesn't work. Not gasoline. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised she didn't try to drink that. Officers noticed she was highly intoxicated, had bloodshot glassy eyes, emitted a strong odor of alcohol from her breath. Officers then observed an open bottle of Crown Royal liquor in the front passenger seat. Witnesses said she was drinking from the bottle before officers got there. She told officers she had 11 children, couldn't find them. Minnesota Child Protective Services took custody of her children due to the October DWI arrest. Schleicher also told officers at the scene she was pregnant, bleeding, and having a miscarriage. She was given a pregnancy test at a hospital. The results found that her statement was not true. Schleicher's previous scrapes with the law include drunken driving arrests in Kentucky, Wisconsin, Indiana, California, Oregon, and Minnesota. She's also wanted on three out-of-state warrants in Nebraska, Idaho, and Oregon, according to court records. Other than that, how's it going for? <laughs> not well. Wow. How, honest question. How did she get the kerosene to put into the vehicle? You said she tried well, to put kerosene. Well, they had it at the gas station, I would assume. Well, but don't you have to sell it to someone with the, with the proper container? I don't know. Okay, Do they sorry. sell that's, kerosene that's, at gas stations? That's the least of the problems in this story. Yeah, I just, it really is. Well, I just, uh, that, that's the part that stuck out to me. The only thing I could imagine is she tried to put diesel in a gas car. I don't know about the kerosene. Let's, let's move on. 
White House reportedly upset that embattled Environmental Protection Agency Chief Scott Pruitt gave a 25-minute interview to Fox News and believes the EPA chief was not truthful during the televised discussion. That interview came amid a swirl of controversy over Pruitt's deal to rent a Capitol Hill condominium linked to an energy lobbyist last year. Senior administration officials say the White House told Pruitt to not go on TV, but he disregarded the order, sat for an exclusive with Fox's Ed Henry, which quickly became combative. Also, according to the Washington Post, senior White House officials think Truett was involved in orchestrating a pay raise for two of his close aides after the administration rejected a request to increase their salary. Uh, good news. Apparently, your brain keeps making new nerve cells. That's even, what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. Even as you get older. Sure. That's a big deal because for decades, researchers believe the aging brain stops making new cells. Ah, you can get them. You can get but, new ones. But recent research has offered strong evidence to the contrary, and a new paper published today in the journal Cell Stem Cell tries to put the notion to bed entirely. Aging aging brains, the researchers showed, produce just as many new cells as younger brains do. I like that news, John. I do, too. Uh, It means I'm getting smarter. Mm -hmm. Uh Remember how dumb I used to be? (laughs) I'm better now. Former WWE wrestler and manager Thomas M. Sullivan, better known as Luscious Johnny Valiant. Of course. <laughs> well, don't laugh. He was struck and killed by a pickup oh. truck in Ross Township in Pennsylvania. How old a fellow is he? He was 71. Huh. Uh, he was a wrestler. Never heard of him. He, well, he's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, I haven't heard of him either, but apparently he and his brother, Handsome Jimmy Valiant. Mackie's probably got a poster of him in his bedroom. <laughs> with the World Tag Team Champions in 1974 and both later inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, Sullivan wrestled during the 60s, 70s, into the 80s, went back to the WWE in 1985 before heading to the American Wrestling Association as a manager in Was it Luscious? The guy that uh, Jesse... Uh, uh, was the referee of? No, that was Mr. Ass. Oh. <laughs> uh, Dave Dahl coming up. Here's Dave Dahl. Thank you, Joe. We're up to 37. Should have hit a high of about 38, 39. And then we start to cool off again tonight. There's a line of snow showers right through central Minnesota. That's going to come southward here over the next couple of hours. Not arriving here until after the game is over, probably, at about 6.30 to 7 o'clock. So as far as the Twins' home opener goes, it looks like it's going to stay dry through the game. Flurries tonight, though, and scattered snow showers, and then it tapers off, but 14 for the overnight low. Tomorrow's high, 27. It's going to be windy and unusually cold. Good thing they took it as their day off. That's It's unbelievable. Tomorrow's going to be a, a bitter day. 27 will be windy as well. 10 to 20 mile per hour winds going to make it feel like it's in the low teens most of the day tomorrow. Friday night, all the way down to 8 above, but for Saturday, not too bad. Low 30s, and it will be quieter as far as the winds go. Then on Sunday, they're scheduled to play on Sunday too, right? Yes. Snow, pretty likely, and could become heavy in the afternoon and evening. Um, accumulations in that significant range, enough to shovel and plow by Sunday night into early Monday. Monday's really? high, though, back up to 36. What? I said, really? Yeah, I know. 36 on Monday, 38 on Tuesday, so all that snow is going to start to really melt in a hurry. 50 on Wednesday with showers and a few thunderstorms. That's going to wash away most of the rest of the snow that's left. 56 Thursdays, still some more scattered showers and thunder showers, 
And uh, we're going to see the temperatures cool off a little bit after that. But uh, I think after we get into the 50s and close to 60 here by late next week, that should bring a close to our snowfall for the season. But you never know. Another one could sneak in here. At this point, we're looking at temperatures going up another degree or two. We're at 37, Joe, and I have the records for the day. April 5. Has been up to 80 on this date. 80. In 1991. In 1991, when they would have been playing in the Dome anyway. Yep. And then our record low is 12. 12. In 1979. We made it to 13 this morning, so we didn't quite get the record. All right. Thank you. Yep. What, Chris? Uh, David on line one. David. David? Hi, Joel. Hi. I'm a former school administrator. All right. Friend of mine's kid was at my school. He was getting picked on by another kid. Mm-hmm. So dad comes into my office after school one day and says, just want you to know what I told him. I said, okay. He says, I told him, the next time this kid does this, you're going to punch him right in the nose. Yep. And then you're going to walk directly to the principal's office because you're going to get suspended. <laughs> <laughs> Did that happen? Uh, no, the other kid stopped. <laughs> Why did he stop? Because the, the, his, his, his victim was standing up for himself? Uh, that was part of it, but I also had a little conversation with him and just told him, knock it off. It's not yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to take two? Sure. And that is? That's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mr. Mayor. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Fine. I'm the Osmond potentate this year, and this time last year you were uh, talking about how the circus was in town, yep. and you didn't even know what was going on. Right. I believe Reavers took the tickets that were comp. I did. So we want to personally invite you to the Osmond Shrine Circus going on this weekend at the State Fair Coliseum. Well, you're very kind. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm. I'm not going to be available, but you're very kind. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought you might have a thing, but I, I got a to thing. Yeah. The invitation. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. I did take the boys last year. The bride and I did, and you it. ended up loving it. It was great. They had mm-hmm. a good time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, you're a kid. How can you not love the circus? You know, I got the book out here. Is there any, anything more you want? Oh, you know, weather related. Boy, you want to know what the uh, the foggiest Twins game oh, ever was? Please, Outside? yes, I'd love to. Uh, it was September fifth, nineteen sixty one. We call it the Fog Bowl. Uh, uh, no game was ever fogged out before or since. That game was fogged out. Wait, wait a minute. With the score tied at three in the ninth inning in a game between the Twins and the White Sox on uh-huh. the night of September 5, 1961, played umpire John Rice lifted back his mask, waved in the players, and called the game off. A fog had been thickening all evening, had by this time obscured the outfielders. The words, oh say, could you see, were not visible on the scoreboard twinsagram. It was an overcast, misty, and 63 degrees when the... Uh, when 11,000 customers arrived that night. You want to know what the hottest game ever was? Oh, man. Huh? Hottest, hottest game. I would guess. As long as I got the book out. Mid-July. Mid-July, were we talking? Uh, nope. August. Nope. Darn. Monday night, June 29th, 1970. The Twins beat Kansas City 5-4. to four. The temperature at game time, a ballpark record, 97 Holy degrees. Holy cow. Wouldn't that have been fun? Now, because I don't have memories of the old Met. When you sat at the Met on a hot night like that, would you bake? I mean, was there airflow going through the Met, or were you uh, were you cooking no, pretty no good? No more or less than any other ballpark. But I mean, with Target Field, 
Target Field is sits low. I, I doubt if you'd get cooling winds in Target Field. Well, that's my point. So well, c- this thing sat out there in flat farmland. There was no windbreak anywhere. There was no tall buildings. But you get a breeze, wouldn't you? A little, you breeze? a little breeze, yeah. The record 97 was equaled on another Monday night, July 8, 1974, with Detroit in town. 7,000 people. God, people never used to go to the games, did they? <laughs> huh? Well, it also probably depended. You could have two kinds of beer and a dream sickle. <laughs> Get yourself a snow cone. The stormy. You want the stormiest game? Oh, I do want the stormiest huh? The game. stormiest one ever? As long as I got the book out. You got the book ready yeah. to go. Paying off now for me, isn't it? <laughs> 30-some years later. Sure. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Friday night, June 30, mm-hmm. 1967. Tornado, severe thunderstorms. Uh, the game was stormed out before a crowd count could be registered. Uh, the game started. It was the Twins and Senators. It was 83 degrees, a wind out of the south. Jim Merritt started for the Twins. Uh, why don't I cut to the storm here? Uh, Oliva was stationed at second. Pasquale walked the next batter, Bob Allison. Darkness had been gathering unusually early, but now Oliva was struck by the sudden blackness over the right field stands and the noise Oliva will never forget the roar of, an, of the onrushing storm and the way the right field light standards swayed in the wind. Oh, man. Tony reasoned that to await an official announcement was to await death. He ran straight across the diamond and into his dugout. The Senator outfielders fled to their own quarters. The unnatural darkness was made more eerie when the stadium lights flickered and then died. The wind roared tornado-like as players and fans rushed themselves into the basement corridors of the Met. Hmm. Game was canceled. Uh, you gave me the snowiest opener. That was 1962. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite stories told about the Met is the is the one Jim Cott regales with Patrick every year and how they had to fly him and another player because they lived in Burnsville. I can give you that. Oh, that was great. It's a great bar trivia question, although you, I guess you're getting up in years if you know the answer. Uh, name the three Twins players who lived in Burnsville and had to be helicoptered back and forth to the ballpark for the opening two weeks of the 1965 season when the Minnesota River flooded its banks, cutting off ground travel. Well, Cott was one. Jim Cott, Rich Rollins, and Dick Stigman. I wouldn't have gotten the other two. Helicoptered back and forth for the first two weeks of the season. That's unbelievable. Isn't that something? 65 was a flooding flooding year. When the Twins were in the World Series in 1965. Sure, against the Dodgers. Against the Dodgers. That series opened at home. Of course, they were all day games then. Opened at home. Guess the date it opened at home. It was 64 degrees. I'm going to guess October 6th. You are right on the money. Really? October 6th. Wow. Uh... What else can I give you as long as I get the book here? You get know, the book. Get the book out. Well, look at the time. Never mind. I think I've brought you all up to speed on the. Uh, I can't find the. Once thing. there was a ballpark. Uh-huh. Am I going to see the flyover? That's why I wanted you to change it to the FSNF golf for a brief moment because Des is singing the anthem She's right now. She's a little now. bundled up, isn't she? It doesn't look. Too bad, You though. can't even see their breath. I no. mean, this is turning into a lovely afternoon. How, the field is green. How unbelievable does that field look? What Looks a great fantastic. job they did. Stands are full. Uh, the bunting is up. It's just uh, wonderful. We live to mm. see another spring, huh? 1500 ESPN. Here they come. Is it, Are they coming? Yeah, 1500 ESPN watching. is KSTP, St. Paul, Minneapolis, 